0: Andrew was definitely my first soulmate. I think we have many soulmates in this life and he was certainly one. I think he was a type three on the Enneagram. He was such a performer. He was a little angel here on earth. He acted, he was a comedian. Whatever Andrew could conceive of, whatever he could dream or think up, he would want to immediately get to creating it and to producing it. And a lot of times I was the one who helped him bring his dreams to life. Welcome to Love, Liz, the podcast that's all about inspiring you to be yourself, find true love, and live your purpose. This is for all you seekers with deep desires who are struggling with your own self-worth and figuring out how to make your dreams come true. I'm your host, Liz Newcomer, actor turned Enneagram coach, human design practitioner, wife, and mama. I believe that who you are is enough to create the life and love you desire. Listen to find out why. Welcome back to the Loveless Podcast. Today is a very special episode, near and dear to my heart, because it is the 28th anniversary of my little brother Andrew's death. Andrew died when he was nine years old in 1995. I was 14. I was with my parents, both my little brothers, Andrew and Jeffrey, and two of my friends, and we were going to see my big brother's football game. They were playing an away game at the time. We decided to get a slice of pizza beforehand. Went to Godfather's Pizza and and Andrew wanted some of my pepperoni and I was being an obnoxious 14 year old and wouldn't share my pizza with him. And then when we got to the other school, the parking lot was all filled up. So we had to park across the street of a busy two lane highway. And I went across the street first with two of my friends and Andrew followed behind me. And I think he looked to his left, but then he didn't look to see that a car was coming to the right and he was hit and killed instantly. That traumatic event has set the stage of the rest of my life. There was this underlying grief throughout my coming of age that has really informed who I am, what I do, and how I show up to life. And I share this story with you today because it's something that happened to me. It is real and honest. And a lot of us go through really difficult times that are sometimes hard to talk about. The way that I've always dealt with grief is by speaking about it. And it's been very healing for me. I don't like to keep things hidden or pushed down. I'd rather get them up and out so then I can actually process through them. Andrew was definitely my first soulmate. I think we have many soulmates in this life and he was certainly one. I think he was a type three on the Enneagram. He was such a performer. He was a little angel here on earth. He acted. He was a comedian. He wrote his own comic book called Crisis Man and he was really good at drawing the men characters with their six pack, but he always wanted me to draw the women. Whatever Andrew could conceive of, whatever he could dream or think up, he would want to immediately get to creating it and to producing it. And a lot of times I was the one who helped him bring his dreams to life. He loved Jim Carrey and when Ace Ventura came out, he loved the catchphrase, oh And he would do that over and over again. And he was so good at it that we decided to re-record some of the main scenes in that movie. And we were going to send it to Jim Carrey to see if Andrew could be a star. I want to be your biggest fan. I just want to tell you this. I really want to be a star and I've been working on your acts ever since I knew about you. Well, hope you like it. I hope you like it. I really hope you like it. He passed away before we were able to send it to Jim Carrey, and I still hold out hopes that one day Jim will see the videos that we made. I think Andrew was in first grade when he wrote a newsletter that he distributed to his whole class. The first edition was called Trash in Epidemic, and he went around our neighborhood taking pictures of trash and then writing this story about how we all need to stop losing littering and throw things away. (laughs) He was also a painter, an athlete. He was a stocky kid, probably would have been a football player. And pretty much there was nothing that Andrew couldn't do. He had a big heart. He wore his emotions on his sleeve. And even though he was only nine years old, he had the love of his life, Ashley. And then he also had Margaret. So one was like his wife and the other was like his mistress. And he would write love letters to Ashley and have me look over them. He would ask me, if he could sleep in my bed at night. I remember loving when he would sleep in my bed and just cuddling with him. I was a preteen and I would say, well, I'm gonna be up late, so the light's gonna be on, but if you can handle that, then yes, you can sleep in my bed. I would be up studying, he would be next to me, he'd fall asleep and I would look and he just had this angelic, sweet expression on his face and his hands were all balled up in little fists. He had eczema and he just had these like chunky little hands and I loved him so much. My heart would just burst. It's pretty amazing how things work. I have a six-year-old Valentine and a five-year-old Romeo, and I see elements of Andrew in both of them. My hope in sharing my story of my beloved little brother, Andrew, is to have a conversation about grief and the pain of loss. I think one thing that is so challenging about grief, it is so hard to accept. And as we all know, suffering is is when we resist what is and when we lose someone that we love, whether it's in a breakup or whether it's with a death or whether it's because we move or we get older and we just can't hold on to the things As they were before, it's really painful. And so, so much of our suffering comes when we are holding on tightly to how things were and we're struggling to accept how they are now. I want to share a thought with you that I have about my brother that has brought me a lot of peace and comfort. And I hope that it can do the same for you. When I think about Andrew and I think about the fact that he died when he was nine years old, one thing that used to cause me a lot of pain was imagining. All of the time, the past 28 years, he would be 37 years old now and imagining that time as if it was a loss, as if he was supposed to have those 28 years here on earth and that me, my family, the world was robbed of having Andrew's spirit here on earth. That was so painful to think. What would he be like when he was 37? What would he do? I actually have a funny story to share. My little brother, Jeffrey, who was just two years older than Andrew and they were thick as thieves, best friends. Jeffrey is a type five. He's a wise old soul. And a couple of years after Andrew died, Jeffrey said very seriously to my mom, I figured out why Andrew died. And she said, why? And he said, because he was going to grow up to be a criminal and God took him so that he never had to turn bad. <sighs> I guess it's another way of saying only the good die young. Anyway, it's natural to imagine how things might be now if you didn't have the loss that you have. This is where you get to choose how you think about things. I do a lot of thought work with myself, with my clients, and it really is about choosing the thoughts that serve you. And at some point I had the thought, Andrew was only ever supposed to live here for nine years. His life was full and complete. And it was just as it was supposed to be. And that is the truth because that is how long he was here on this earth. And that thought comforts me so much because then I'm not looking at what I've lost, but I'm looking at what I had for nine years and what an incredible gift he gave me and how I am now able to share the lessons that he taught me. With any experience, we get to choose what lessons we take from it. And we can take a positive lesson. We can take a negative lesson. My lessons from Andrew's death haven't all been positive. That one certainly is. But one that has taken me a long time and I'm still wrestling with is this relationship with time. And because I had a soulmate, a love of my life, and I lost him, I felt a lot of pressure time and wanting to make the most of my time with the people that I loved. Now, that's a good thing. But when it starts to become a bad thing is when you're holding on to it and you're hoarding that time and you're really afraid to let go. I have felt it in feeling like I am behind or I'm going to miss out on something, wanting to rush ahead into the future to be at a certain place in life, because then I will have achieved Something And all of that relationship with time has made me not always be present to what is. For a long time, I think I slid into that stress point, which is why I mentioned in the last episode that when I first went to the Enneagram workshop, I thought I was a type two because I was very much living out my stress type. For me, that looks like people pleasing, having trouble setting boundaries, doing whatever I thought was expected or needed from me, from my loved ones, having a hard time saying no, a fear of being selfish or self-involved. So putting other people's priorities before mine. And the deep fear was that if I didn't do that, that I would lose that connection. That person would abandon me, that person would leave me, or they wouldn't know how much I loved them. So I had to prove it by pleasing them. This will be a theme a lot throughout this podcast because I think a lot of us people please and I think a lot of us are afraid of losing connections. I think the fear of loss also hooks into why we maintain the status quo and why we resist change. And I also think it relates to some of the patterns where we don't allow ourselves to achieve our dreams. One of my favorite things to do and this is going to sound a little crazy, but I open up a recorder on my phone and I put my earbuds in and I walk in my neighborhood and I talk out loud. And this has been really helpful for me to just get clear on what's going on inside of me and how I'm feeling and validate my experience. And this one day, it felt like I had this dream in front of me But it felt like I kept changing the target of when or how I could achieve that dream. And I was watching myself do this pattern and I was like, Liz, what is going on with you? Why, as soon as you get a little bit close, you kick the can further down the road. I know what it's like to want something and I'm very comfortable there. But what happens when you actually get it? I think that depends on your Enneagram type. I think for a type six, they might be really sensitive to waiting for the other shoe to drop. They might not want to get that thing because then they're afraid that it's going to be taken away from them. So it's a lot easier and it's a lot more safe to just not have that thing that they desire. But for myself, it was as long as you don't have it, you can keep up with the illusion. I'll be worthy if and when I get that thing. But what happens if you you get it and you're still not worthy. And that fear is so great that it's a whole lot easier to just not have it. I want to share a quote with you by Thich Han that has been really helpful for me as I've navigated loss and pain. And here it is. When the cloud is no longer in the sky, it doesn't mean that the cloud has died. The cloud has continued in other forms like rain or snow or ice. So you can recognize your cloud in her new forms If you're very fond of a beautiful cloud and if your cloud is no longer there, you should not be sad. Your beloved cloud might have become the rain calling on you. Darling, darling, don't you see me in my new form? And then you'll not be stuck with grief and despair. Your beloved one continues always. A cloud can never die. Cloud can become snow or hail or rain, but it's impossible for a cloud to pass from being into non-being. And that is true with your beloved one. She has not died. She has continued in many new forms and you can look deeply and recognize herself in you and around you. As I mentioned, I see my little brother, Andrew, in my children's faces. I hear it in my Big brothers laugh. I see it in pictures of my dad when he was growing up. I see it in my family. I see it in my friends who knew him. I see it in other people who possess qualities that Andrew possessed. And I see it in myself a lot. And so in this present moment, I can appreciate and be grateful as if he's still here with me now. So I have a few questions to offer you. What are you holding on to? What are you afraid to let go of? What loss or pain or grief? are you avoiding? And what is it that you need to think or feel or experience in order for you to be ready to let go? What gifts may come when you do let go? All right, that's my episode for today. For all of you who may be grieving in whatever ways your old self, an actual person, an experience, a time in your life. I see you. I get it. And I hope you can treat yourself really gently and give yourself the space that you need to process it. I hope this resonated. Until next time, love, Liz. If you're ready to stop struggling and start living the life and love you desire, I invite you to check out my one-on-one coaching program. I'm taking on a few new private clients, and I'd love to help you create a life that is authentic, aligned, and fulfilling. Visit my website, elizabethnewcomer.com today to book your free consultation.